the story behind the story. This is Billy Hallowell. I am here today with Pastor Greg Laurie. How are you doing today? Billy, it's great to be here with you. I'm doing fine, thanks. Well, it's good to it's good to catch up with you. And as always, you have a lot of interesting uh, stuff going on. But but one of your projects now, your big project, uh, this new film documentary, Steve McQueen, American Icon, is coming to theaters one night only, September 28th, which is actually my birthday. I turned 34 that day, so maybe I will go Excellent. out. Excellent. It's also my granddaughter's birthday, so I knew that, and that's why we picked that date. <laughs> Happy birthday. This, it's all for you, Billy. It's, see, look at that. Look at that. It's a, it's a, good, a great gift. Uh, but yeah, I will look. give you a free seat in the theater. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, I'm I'm super intrigued by this for for a lot of reasons, and I wanted to ask you because obviously people know who Steve McQueen is. He's legendary, iconic. Um, obviously, most people know who you are, especially in the Christian world. So, what what was it about Steve McQueen that um, attracted your interest to write a book to do a film? Well, you know, I've always been kind of a car motorcycle guy. So if you're into cars and motorcycles, you know who Steve McQueen is. Uh, and it maybe started a few years ago with a Bullet Mustang. And if people don't know what that is, uh, McQueen was in a film called Bullet, where he plays Detective Frank Bullet. And in the film, he drives a 1968 Highland Green Mustang with a blacked-out grill, no pony emblem. Uh, aftermarket wheels, and it's kind of, it's involved in one of the most iconic car chase scenes in cinematic history. So I don't know where, I just wanted to, to get a replica of that car. They make them, they're called bullet cars. So I, I searched and searched, I finally tracked one down. I might add, my wife was not thrilled with this decision. <laughs> but uh, so I was just enjoying the car, and, and I've just been a McQueen fan in general. I think the thing that really prompted this was uh, it was not this last crusade we did in 2017, but the one of 2016. Uh, I was in the middle of the crusade. I was watching the documentary film on McQueen. And it told a very familiar story of his rise from a very difficult childhood to becoming the number one movie star in the world to having his career almost crash. And then he kind of rebuilds from the ashes and has great success and then walks away from Hollywood and learns to fly a plane, he gets cancer and dies. And I'm thinking, wait a second. I had always heard that McQueen had become a Christian, but I didn't have any first-hand knowledge of that. So it started with a Google search, and I just typed in the word, word Steve McQueen, comma, conversion to Christianity. I was reading some articles, and by the way, there wasn't a lot out there on it, but I was reading some articles, and a name kept bubbling up, the name of Leonard DeWitt. And as it turns out, that was Steve's pastor who led him to faith. And I thought, well, who better to talk to than him? And I wondered, is that guy even alive still? And I, I was able to track him down, got him on the phone. And as it turns out, Leonard and I had met a number of years earlier at one of our crusade events we did in his area, Ventura. So I asked him, are you the man that led Steve to Christ? He said, yes, I am. Wow. And we had about an hour-long conversation, and he gave me such interesting, rich details. So 
Billy, I kind of did what you do. I kind of approached it like a reporter. And I thought, I, I want to find out if the story is true. I don't want to go into prove it's true if it isn't true. If it isn't, then I want to know. But if it is, I want details. So I changed the story down. And what I found was not only was it true, but it was actually amazing. It's kind of coming back to your question. The thing that I didn't know until I started researching the life of the queen was our childhoods were almost identical. And so, you know, it's fascinating because I'm, I'm always of the mind and I love, obviously you can cover news stories all day. You can talk about all the things going on in the world and that's all important, but I really love people's stories. And I think there's so many people, especially well-known people who we don't, we don't hear the real stories, especially people of faith. We don't hear what their pivot point moment was. We don't hear, I mean, for instance, here's this legend and you weren't even able to find a lot of information initially without digging deep on that conversion, which was arguably the most important event in his life, right? Um, so I'm I'm fascinated by these stories, and so I'm excited to see you kind of bring this story to light for people who may have been fans, might know who he is, but don't but don't know about those finer details. So I guess yeah, I wanted to ask you next, and I don't want you to give away too much. So whatever you can tell us, because um, I know the movie's coming soon here. But what was the most surprising thing? that you learned the most surprising fact detail about Steve McQueen as you were on this process of understanding his spiritual journey? That's a great question. I I think um, it's hard to say the most. I'll give you just kind of five surprising factoids I discovered about McQueen in my research. Uh, And by the way, the book I wrote called Steve McQueen, uh, the, The Salvation of an American Icon. Uh, is out now. You can find it at Amazon.com and other outlets. And I co-wrote it with Marshall Carroll, who has written five books on the Queen. Because I said, if I'm going to tell the story, I want to make sure I'm completely accurate. And Marshall Carroll is actually an expert in all things McQueen. And we also were able to get the support and involvement of Steve's widow, Barbara McQueen, which was essential to really telling the story, because she was there during the last three years of his life. Anyway, back to the five factoids about Steve McQueen I did not know. Uh, Steve McQueen was born to the home of an alcoholic mother and father, and his father loved them. And he never knew his earthly father, and in fact went searching for him later in life. And by the time he found him, the father had already died. Another one, Steve McQueen literally ran away and joined the circus. I mean, who does that? (laughs) Steve McQueen actually did that in real life. Number three, uh, Steve was invited to the home of Sharon Tate and was on his way over to the party when he met some girl and ran off with her instead. And that was the night the Manson family struck, and Steve would have surely been killed. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, Here's another factoid. At the peak of his fame, when he was the number number one star in Hollywood, Steve walked away from Hollywood. Walked away. He, he, he didn't want to make any more films, even though he was the number one star on the planet. In the last factoid, Steve McQueen, American icon, became a Christian, and it wasn't on his deathbed. It was actually when he was still just this top movie star, and his, you know, his accomplishments did not fill that void in his life. And he heard the gospel and believed. And it was six months later that he found out that he had cancer. And then he fought that with a lot of faith and courage. Wow. Wow. The Sharon Tate 
element is crazy. I mean, that's crazy. And and that story obviously is another one we we all know. And so he would have he would have died that night, probably. I mean, very likely he would have died had he not run off with that girl. That's listen, a crazy no, listen, uh, there's no question he would have died, Billy, because everybody in that right. house was brutally murdered. I mean, it was one of the most horrific, grisly murder scenes ever. And, uh, you know, they wrote Helter Skelter on the wall and the blood of the people. So, they, yeah, he would have been killed for sure. And, and he became very paranoid after that for a good reason, because the reason he was going over it is his good friend J.C. bring a hairdresser, sort of the hairdresser to the stars, hairstylist of the stars. Uh, he was going over at the invitation of Jay, and Jay, his friend, was murdered that night, along with uh, Sharon and others. Horrible thing. Wow, yeah, yeah. Gus Baird McQueen. He spared the queen. And I think the queen knew that. And and one of the things I bring up in my book and in the film is little seeds were thrown, uh, sown in Steve's life going back very early on. And, you know, then someone would water a seed that was sown and somebody else would, would uh, you know, water it a little bit more. And then finally that seed broke brown and, and he came to faith. But it's a really interesting story because we were unable to uncover some audio tapes I did not know even existed. I was talking with my co-author, Marshall Terrell, uh, who wrote the book with me, and he mentioned, oh, well, there's these, you know, tapes where Steve talks about his face. I said, what? He said, well, there's these tapes. I said, tapes, you mean like recordings? Yeah, someone had an audio cassette recorder and recorded Steve talking about, you know, Jesus. And I said, man, I've got to hear those tapes. So we got them, and they're in the film. Uh, these have never been heard before. Uh, and Steve, in his own words, is talking about what happened to him. And it, it's pretty cool the way we presented it in the film. And the story just kind of builds. And then you just realize how real and genuine this conversion was. I love that. And I love the fact that you have somebody who has so much wealth, so much fame, so much power in Hollywood, and that they've gone through that. I think that's what really adds to this story. And, you know, with that, I guess one of the things that had sort of popped in my head as we're talking, you know, are there any lessons, you know, either overt, and again, I don't want you to give away too much, but, um, or covert in the film about just, you know, fame and money and what that means for our lives and in our lives? Are there any lessons surrounding that? Because I know it's a topic we talk about a lot in the Christian world. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the revelations of the film is the involvement of Mel Gibson. Uh, you know, most people know who Mel is, Academy Award director and actor. Yeah, I think one of the greatest filmmakers of our time, frankly. And, uh, and so Mel just happened to be there at the stadium that night because I was interviewing him for his then-upcoming film, Hacksaw Ridge. So, you know, I was all fired up about this McQueen story because I'd done this research and talked to Leonard DeWitt, Steve's pastor. And so I'm telling Mel the story. And Mel's very interested. And someone interrupts us, and uh, and then the interruption's over, and Mel turns to me and says, Greg, finish the story about McQueen. So I finish the story, and I really, that's what I'm doing with this book and this movie, is I'm finishing the story about Steve McQueen. I'm telling the whole story. And and so uh, after uh, that event ended, Mel and I were texting back and forth, and and Mel asked me, you know, thank you for helping him. He said, is there anything I could do for you? I said, yeah, can I interview you for my McQueen film? And he agreed, so we took our cameras to his offices. And uh, and so Mel talked about Steve as an actor. He talked about his craft. He talked about 
what the techniques were that the Queen used that made him so successful. So that was expected, and, and he did a great job with that. But then what Mel brought to this story was what it's like to be a movie star, losing your anonymity, and wanting to walk away. So Mel addressed it, and actually, who could better address it than, well, a movie star? Right. I mean, Mel has breathed that rarefied air of being the top guy, uh, you know, in the game in his day. Uh, and so he was able to really speak to that and speak to the emptiness in Steve's life and speak and speak to the importance of faith in Steve's life. So I just thought that there's actually not a more qualified guy that could have addressed this than Mel Gibson. So he brought a lot to this story. And, and so that that's really amazing because you really see, you know, Someone asked me, I posted on social media, and you know, a lot of younger people don't know who McQueen was. And someone said, why are you talking about Steve McQueen? You know, what's the big deal? And I responded and said, Steve McQueen was like a modern-day Solomon. He had everything this world offers. He had unlimited fame, women throwing themselves at him. He was a willing recipient, of course. He did drugs. He, you know, did drinking. He... He had beautiful homes. He had the most incredible car collection on the planet. And he saw the emptiness of it and walked away. That's exactly what Solomon saw as the king. When he looked at all of his estates and his orchards and all of the power he had and all of the wealth, and he said it was all emptiness. Hey, the queen came to the same conclusion. And we're also living during a time when there are a lot of... Look, you've got Justin Bieber. You have people out there who are navigating that struggle and, and people will judge them and say things, but they're, they're in the midst of the struggle of trying to remedy or, and, and sort of figure out how to have their faith work with their fame. And so I think yeah. this is, it's a timeless story, right? But I think beyond that, and you mentioned Solomon, this has been happening <laughs> since the beginning of you know, human existence that people have found themselves with fame, power, and, or, you know, money, and they're trying to sort of figure out how to navigate that. Um, and, and so I think I think it's amazing. I appreciate that you've done this. I, I can't wait to uh, dive in. And, and also, I haven't had a chance to read your book yet. I can't wait to, to do that as well, because I think there's some deep lessons here with somebody like Steve McQueen that we can learn. Um, and so with that being said, where can people go if they want more information on the film? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, if you want to get the book, the best place to get it is Amazon. They'll get it to you quickly. Um, Stephen Queen, The Salvation of an American Icon. The film opens on September 28th nationwide in 800 theaters as a Fathom event. Basically, Fathom is an organization that buys out a bunch of theaters. And uh, and so you go to the theater and you see this movie. There's only one night you can see it. And it's very likely that the film is showing in a theater near whoever's listening to this right now. So to find out where it is, you just go to our website, stevemcqueenmovie.com. Again, just stevemcqueenmovie.com. There's a little search engine in there. Put in your zip code. It'll tell you where it's showing. Then, Billy, later it will come out on a DVD. And after that, it will come out on Netflix. I love it. That is great. Now, we're going to do a little topic switch here, and I'll let you go soon because I've taken up a lot of your time here. But I have to ask you because I know you've been speaking about these things, and you and I, we did interviews a couple of years ago for my book, Armageddon Code, and you were a great source for that. Um, and you know, I, as a journalist and somebody who covers faith, I'm sort of obsessed with the topics that a lot of people don't want to talk about um, in mainstream <laughs> culture. And so the end yeah. times being one of those, for, I think all of us are interested in it. 
but a lot of people are afraid to sort of dive into it or, or talk about it. Um, but you're not, and a lot of pastors aren't. And I wanted to just ask you, you know, what what should people be thinking? And this is a loaded question, but in in light of North Korea, I mean, it's almost staggering the countries that are involved in the things that are happening right now on the world stage, but also the natural disasters. And there's a lot of questions and wondering. So I just wanted to throw it out with that loaded question, sort of ask you where believers should be right now when it comes to this subject matter. Well, I think it is a very important topic. And, you know, you just look at what's going on right now, these hurricanes. We had Hurricane Harvey can devastate, you know, uh, Houston and parts of Texas. Now we have Hurricane Irma, and another one behind that. And uh, a friend of mine just texted about a, or tweeted about a huge earthquake in Mexico. And then, of course, the North Korea situation. Well, look, the Bible tells us that we'll know we're getting closer to the last days when the birth pains get closer together. Jesus likened it to a woman giving birth. And when a woman is getting ready to have the baby, the birth pains get closer and closer. In other words, they happen more frequently. And right now, we know we know there's a tribulation period coming that will last seven years, the Bible tells us this. We know there's an Antichrist figure that will emerge on the scene. We know that during the tribulation period, there's going to be earthquakes and natural disasters and war on a scale like we've never seen it before, persecution of Christians. Okay, so here's the question. Are we seeing those things right now? Yes. Someone would say, well, we've always seen those things. That's correct. But are we seeing these things in closer proximity and more frequently? I would say the answer is yes. So Jesus says when these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption is drawn near. So I think what these are is what I would describe as wake-up calls. Like, pay attention, this is real. And North Korea... This is a big thing. I don't think people understand. This is no joke. Uh, this dictator uh, has the power now to deliver a nuclear weapon. For the, a number of years I've been talking about this. I'm not an expert on these things, but I've just, I think, seen the obvious. And I always felt that his delivery systems were probably already ready. And I think it's been revealed that now he can actually move uh, those nuclear weapons are possibly a hydrogen bomb now uh, to American shores, not just the Guam, but you can actually get it over stateside to us. And he threatens to use it. And so how do you deal with a guy like this? If we take military action, will we hit all of the sites where the bombs are? How many people will die in the process in South Korea or in Japan? Or will he launch missiles uh, at the United States? And then he's sharing intelligence with Iran. And we know that Iran plays a key role in the last day scenario as one of the allies that marches with Magog against Israel. Uh, you know, Iran's only had that name since the 30s. They used to be called Persia. And Persia is the ally that marches with Magog. And then we, not long ago, under President Obama, gave billions of dollars to Iran, which I thought was one of the worst uh, ideas of all time. So, you know, just pull the camera back. I would say these are signs of the times. They're reminders that Jesus is coming. And as Christians, we need to be really praying for our president if we voted for him or not. He is a man that God has put in that office, if you like it or not. And, and, he, and I appreciate the fact that our president 
recently called for a national day of prayer. It was last Sunday, uh, Labor Day, actually. And uh, that was for the disaster uh, of Hurricane Harvey. But uh, the fact that our president even asked for prayer and allowed uh, evangelical pastors to pray for him in the Oval Office, this is a good sign. Let's pray for our president. Let's pray for his administration. Pray for our military as important decisions are being made. But also, let's wake up and smell the coffee. Jesus is coming. And the last question for you, because a lot of Christians will say, and I got a lot of this when I wrote the Armageddon Code, because people didn't read it and they didn't understand it. And they're like, why are you focusing on this? You know, that we shouldn't be focused on this. We shouldn't care. That'll be what some Christians say. Oh, it doesn't matter. Jesus is coming back. I'm just going to live the right way. I don't really care about any of these signs. I don't really want to talk about the end times. How do you respond to that sort of apathy on the part of Christians? Well... I think you can swing to two extremes, Billy. I think you can become obsessed with end times events and see, you know, fulfilled Bible prophecy in everything. And, and that can become an extreme thing. Absolutely. Uh, but then you can go too far the other way and ignore it all. Uh, I think the idea is, as we see these signs of the times, uh, it just reminds us it's coming is there, so we need to be about our Father's business. In fact, the Bible teaches that Believing in the imminent return of Jesus, it will have a purifying effect on us spiritually. In First John, it says, "He that has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure." And if we did, weren't supposed to understand Bible prophecy, why would Jesus say in Matthew twenty-four, when discussing the abomination of desolation, he says, "When you see the abomination of desolation," then he goes on to say, "Let the reader understand." He says it because we need to know about these things. We need to be students of Bible prophecy. But I believe if we understand it correctly, it will just motivate us to live godly lives and do all that we can to reach our generation while we can. That's why I'm doing this film, Steve McQueen, American Icon. I'm sort of doing, I don't know, you might describe it as a sneak attack. You know, going into the theaters with a documentary that's true about a guy whose life was changed, and I'm using it as a vehicle to bring the gospel to people. And I'm always looking for creative, fresh, and innovative ways to reach people with the message of who Jesus is. Well, listen, I love this. I appreciate you taking the time, and I hope we can catch up soon, and I wish you guys the best of luck with the film. Thank you so much, Billy. Thanks for coming on today. Faithwire.com.